If you happen to be a perfectionist, the last line of today's gospel may well set off alarm bells. And it's a good, there's a good chance that at least a few of us here are perfectionists or who have struggled with this difficulty. According to psychologists Thomas Curran and Andrew Hill, there's been a sharp increase in levels of perfectionism, at least in the English-speaking world. They estimate in a recent study that instances of perfectionism have risen 33 percent since 1989. Now, if I were to determine that I'm a perfectionist, and if I were to do a Google search for help with this condition, I'd get a lot of advice like this. You don't have to be perfect. And that's good advice, I think, by the way. It's realistic, at least. But it would seem, in some sense, to put modern psychology in conflict with our teaching from our Lord Jesus Christ today. He says, be perfect. Lest we cause undue stress to any perfectionists listening today, I would like to uh, unpack this saying of our Lord's, first of all, by looking at the whole context of what he's saying, and then changing the focus from ourselves to God. So first of all, Jesus doesn't say, be perfect, and you know what that means. Never have a bad hair day. Never make a mistake. Never allow yourself to be outperformed by a coworker or a fellow student. But this standard of perfection is clearly a human one. It's not one that, that uh, God is enjoining on us, obviously. But we're supposed to be perfect in a specific way as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And again, uh, my sense is that it's easy to assume that we know what that means. What is the perfection of God, after all? It's not an easy thing to grasp, and there have been lots of people who have taken lots of time to describe the perfections of God. This is a very traditional exercise, in fact. So God is eternal and simple, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, perfectly just. And these are all attributes of God that are available to unaided reason. If God exists, he must possess perfections like these. Otherwise, he wouldn't be what we mean by God. Now, again, obviously, Jesus is not telling us that we have to be omniscient or omnipotent or even perfectly just, which would require omniscience, really. Now, perhaps you've noticed that I've not actually addressed the precise challenge, again, that Jesus has given us. I'm, I'm pointing out all the pitfalls in understanding what he's saying. Because he doesn't ask us to be perfect as God is perfect in essence. He urges us to be conformed to the perfections of our Heavenly Father, one who's already adopted us as sons and daughters. So how does that change things? Well, what distinguishes God in his perfection as Father is quite striking. It's love for enemies. God is kind and patient with the ungrateful and with the selfish. That's from uh, Jesus' teaching in Luke's gospel. It's parallel to this one. And if we're honest with ourselves, that often enough describes us, right? I'm the ungrateful one. I'm the selfish one. And God is kind to me. He's patient with me. He's forgiving. And this realization that we receive all kinds of good things from God, even when we forget to say thank you, even when we grouse about things that we wish were different in our lives, this realization excuse me, will help to position us to understand what is truly meant by turning the other cheek. If perfectionism is on the rise in our world, 
I think so is victimization. And this tendency also makes Jesus' teaching much more difficult to hear. Uh, of course I love my enemies. I just think they should be severely punished for making my life miserable. In a way, this appeal to victimhood is the reverse side of perfectionism. If I can't have perfectionism, it must be because other people are persecuting me. Someone is preventing me from achieving the awesomeness that is my destiny. On the other hand, what happens if we take time, rather, to say thank you to God for all of the many gifts he gives us each day, usually, again, without our asking, probably all kinds of things he's giving us today that we're not even aware of. What happens that we, when we recognize that this is all about his generosity to us and not our deserts? And oddly enough, the pressure then to be perfect in the world sense just dries up, and none of that is material at all. It loses all of its force, because being perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect is about solidarity with others, not competition with them is to be co-recipients with, with all other creatures of God's bountiful and unmerited love. It means being ready to receive anyone, all others, into communion with ourselves. Now, I, I need to qualify this when I say this, because it might not be possible in this life to achieve communion with everybody. In fact, it's not. Uh, we live in a fallen world. I heard it said by a priest recently, we're not commanded by God to be manipulated by other people. Right? That's, not, that's not what we mean here. It often happens that others are not open to this communion. And so our love for them has to be exercised at a certain safe distance, I think, through prayer, for example. Perhaps a generous regard for their needs, if I can supply them in some way. And the, the truth is, Jesus did not experience this kind of close fellowship with everybody in his lifetime, in his human lifetime. But he did pray that his father would forgive them. So gratitude and patient acceptance of things as they are, these are prerequisites for the specific type of perfection that Jesus is enjoining on us today, urging us to take up. And I have one last suggestion, and for that I'm going to go back to the philosophical understanding of God and back to our psychological study about perfectionism. So the men who ran this study uh, about perfectionism hypothesized that this rise in perfectionism is caused by what they call a market society. So we used to just have a market economy where things were valued in the marketplace uh, through competition. But now we value ourselves through competition with other people. And this makes us very hypersensitive to our imperfections. So we're, we are in regular competition with others for attention, for likes and followers and so on. But here's the thing. One of God's perfections is that he's not in competition with anything, nothing at all. He is transcendent and infinite, and therefore he never suffers any scarcity. He's never, he's never falling behind anybody else in the competition of life. No matter how many gifts he gives away, he still has an infinite number left. So if God gives you a gift, it doesn't mean he now has one fewer gift to give to me. Uh, his gifts are not like cookies on the plate in the kitchen. You know, once I take one and eat it, you can't have it. Much of our human perfectionism comes from a sense of falling behind others in a kind of race or competition. 
But when we turn to the Lord and we give the reins over to the Holy Spirit and live out of the riches of our baptized life, live out of God's life as true children of God, we aren't in competition with anyone either. We're we're experiencing a participation in that uh, eternal life. And from this perspective, we can learn to celebrate all the gifts of others, uh, even as we celebrate God's generosity to ourselves. For again, another revealed perfection of God, this is a revealed one, not one that's uh, available to unaided reason, is that God is a trinity, a community of love, of continually and total self-gift. So God's infinite life is enough for all of us, and we are perfect to the extent that we remove all obstacles from God's life in us, any bitterness or resentment, and even, oddly enough, perfectionism. 